Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Wynn, and welcome to the Roker Report Extra Podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen as we look ahead to Sunderland's clash with Gillingham on Saturday where after another good result on the road at Ipswich Town we will discuss, among other things, if Sunderland's split personality between playing at home versus playing away gives us any concerns about getting a result this weekend. On the theme of multiple personalities to help us along our mazy dribble uh, we first have a familiar voice all the way from Gloucester. We have the artist formerly known as Bomber. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm all right, Chris. Thank you for that introduction. That's uh, something different for me. But yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Yeah, you OK? Yeah, not bad. Two wins on the bounce, mate. Uh, yeah. does, does the mere thought of Sunderland give you a warm, fuzzy feeling inside at the moment? Um, More warm and fuzzier than it has done recently. Um, I wouldn't say we're we're positively warm just yet, but it's it's getting there. It's heating up nicely. Mm, heating up nicely mm. okay well I'll, I'll take that I'll, I'll i'll let you expand on that as we uh as we go through um uh, and last but not least uh, from the deepest darkest corner of lincolnshire that i never quite remember where exactly john uh we have john stacy how are you mate i'm all right mate yeah just from lincoln which is the capital of lincolnshire should oh. be easy to remember i'm very well thank you chris um good stuff just uh just trying to sort of take in what bomber just said and try not to think of any innuendos <laughs> about him warming up and feeling warmer and all the things he said that were a bit weird. Right, well, we'll leave them to the group chat after then, John. Um, and, and But as we said, two wins on the bounce. So do we have uh, positive John tonight? Um, more positive John, just to quote Bomber. Yeah, a more positive John. Um, but yeah, we'll see. There's never a positive John. It's <laughs> never a positive John. A realistic John. Well, well, lots to get through, so we'll get straight into it. Gav, Ant and Craig went through our performance at Portman Road in detail in the player ratings pod, which was brilliant as always, if you haven't got round to it yet. But I want to start with the fact that our next fixture with Gillingham on Saturday brings us back to the Stadium of Light. I was having a look earlier because I sometimes do get five minutes to prep for these pods. And we're actually 16th in League One if we purely went on home form. Um, Out of 12 games so far at home, we've won four, drawn four and lost four. Um, Should the fact that we're playing at home on Saturday give us any reason for concern, Bomber? Well, ordinarily, in in any other season, I would say no. But this season, you just you just don't know what you're going to get. And you, you know, we've come we've become accustomed this season to to almost dreading playing at home. 
um, and for for different reasons than we have done in previous seasons because we we know the atmosphere at the stadium like with when the fans are full and and on on the players' backs can be a bit toxic. That's not an excuse, and yet the the results arguably have got got worse at, at home. Um, so I, I would be probably a lot more confident looking to forward to to Saturday if this was an away game rather than a home game. And I can't really tell you a real reason why, other than that's what the form dictates. I, I can't fathom it. I can't put my finger on it. Um, I, I kind of buy into the the theory that it's you know it's every small team's cup final um, to come and play on a on a nice pitch and a nice well I say a nice pitch it's, it's an absolutely terrible pitch isn't it? but a nice a nice stadium you know sitting sitting sit get changed in a in a nice uh, nice changing room etc. But other than that, I I can't think. I said I don't have an answer for it, but it does concern me more than it would if it was an away fixture, and, and I just don't know why. Yeah, I mean, I mean, John, I mean, we've won one in seven league games at home since beating Ipswich on November the third. Uh, that's a pretty horrific run. Um, but does the fact that we beat Shrewsbury in our last home game make you believe that we could be turning a corner? I hope so. I think, um, yeah, Bomber hit the nail on the head a little bit. The way I feel as well. Um, I think. You just can't predict anything at the moment, I think. And it goes the same for most clubs. Um, you look at the Premier League. I don't watch much Premier League, but obviously because it's more on TV, you kind of see some teams really struggling at home than that normally wouldn't, you know, you, the Liverpools, etc. But no, I, it's it's an odd one. I really do hope we are turning the corner generally. And I think that's what I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of the fact that we're on a tiny bit of an upturn in form. Um, the results are better. The play is getting slowly better. The the play on the pitch is getting slowly better. Um, and maybe maybe that means doesn't matter where we're playing. You know, we're we're we're, we're bob on for a win. But no, I don't. It's an odd one. If I'm going to turn it into a positive, which is unlike me, um, you know, you could argue that we're on a little bit of form. It doesn't matter where we play. Let's not be fearful of going home after having such bad form at home. So. Yeah, I think I'll leave my, my positive take on that. Let's just think, well, look, we're on a bit of form. Don't matter where we play, we might win. Can I just say, Chris, just to position that question to John, just as a, if you were just to set to snip at that, you, you, we, we're saying that a, a 1-0 win at home to Shrewsbury is a, is a sign that we've turned the corner. That's where we're at at the minute as a club. But, I mean, that, that, that's the key. I mean, looking at that, like I just said, one in seven league games, but that was our only thing we can hang on to yeah. since... Ipswich on November the third. So yes. I mean, I mean, Bomber, you, you didn't. You said I haven't got an answer why. I mean, the obvious thing is, look, there's no fans. But I think we've discussed this. A few people have discussed this on our pods that that could work both ways. So Chris Maguire has been mentioned as someone who like plays off the crowd. Do you think we've got a squad full of players who kind of need that kind of attention from thirty thousand Sunderland fans to to get themselves going? I think I think we've probably got a squad that is perhaps used to it. I wouldn't say the necessary well. It is, a, it is a theory that they that they need it, but I would say that there are certain individuals, Chris Maguire being kind of prime example, that you know, if anybody was a player that needed the big occasion, the big crowd, the big noise and atmosphere, it would be someone like Chris Maguire. Um, but you know that we've got a number of seasoned professionals in there, and and you know they, these guys play football five days a week, six days a week, and for all but one of those days. Um, there's no fans in the stadium, you know. It, I know, except that it's training, so it's a little bit of a different environment. But you know, the the match day is the only time that that um, that comes into effect. And we, you know, you'd have thought by now we should be used to it. It has been oh, how how long has it been now since since fans were were allowed or were allowed in the stadium? It's we're getting on for a year pretty much. So you know, they should be used to it. They should be used to it. And the, the players who 
have played at a high level and are probably used to 20, 30,000, you know, your Gucci's, etc. are professional enough to, to not necessarily need it. And the ones who perhaps aren't as experienced or aren't as professional uh, or haven't got that experience at a high level have come from lower league and are probably used to playing in front of two, 3,000 people in any case. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult to make an excuse for it. Mm. And why should that be any different as a home game or an away game? You know, if, we, if we're playing Hull away, they would normally have, you know, a few teens of thousands or, or, or 20,000. I don't know how much their, their stadium holds. But when we go to there, we'll be playing in an empty stadium. Uh, and yet it wouldn't have seemed to uh, to, to affect us um, away. So I, I don't know. It, like I said, it's it's a it's a conundrum that I just can't put a, 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 <laughs> a finger on. I think you could flip it on its head though, couldn't you? Because I think that it boils down to player personalities. And I think you, you said something there that sort of flagged to me, like Gooch, for example. Like you said, oh, Gooch is a you know seasoned professional, played at the highest level. I'd argue that I think his personality as a player, he thrives on the fans as well, like Maguire. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think that there are players in the team. You look at the lower level players, the lower league players, the Anions, Winchester maybe, that won't be phased either way because they're just happy and kind of like... And actually, I think somebody who's thrived under this environment is Ledbetter. I think, you know, maybe we haven't talked about it yet, but the resurgence of his form, I think, has coincided with the fact that he doesn't have people on his back and he's had his mental health problems with his grief of his of his losses and stuff and it's probably a bit more introverted than he used to be and actually probably thrives in that environment a bit more so I don't know I think I'm, I'm looking at it as as positive as I can I think as a squad I think we're actually looking at minimal amounts of players who thrive and need that vibe of, of 40,000 fans now that doesn't mean that if we had 40,000 fans the team would shrink I think that actually it would buoy quite a lot of the squad these days but I think just again trying to turn things into a positive, which is a bit odd for me. I think that we're we're, we're lacking um, players that would that would need that fan base. So I don't think it's a big problem. But... Yeah, but then it becomes less of an excuse, doesn't it, as to why our home form has been so. <laughs> um, we do so love more. excuses. Yeah. We do love excuses. Final thought, John, on on this. I mean, is it possibly a hangover from the way Phil Parkinson had us set up, where we were so reliant on our defending and the way that we were you know positionally strong and we kept our defensive shape all the time that when a team comes to the stadium light and just defends that we just we just can't break it down because we we haven't got that you know uh, fluidity to to kind of you know have that attack and play in the final third that's going to break a team down yeah i think it is i think it's one of the many uh, hangovers from parkey's um cement that he put into the squad but i also think ultimately as well i i don't I don't always see people come into the stadium alight and park in the bus like they used to because there's no fans. There are some teams recently over the last 10 or so games trying to think off the top of my head. I'm so rubbish at this kind of thing. But there are teams that surprised us with their attack, attack and intent. And I think that was probably an element of the coaches that were involved in those smaller clubs chatting in the dressing room and going, there's no fans there, lads. I know it's a big stadium. Just go out there and play, play your hearts out kind of thing. Don't worry about it. So... Yeah, you're right. It's a hangover from Parky's uh, <laughs> methods, but I don't think it's um I don't think it necessarily is as cut and dry and black and white as look, it's a big stadium, teams are going to park the bus and we're going to have to try and break them down and it's more difficult because of Parky's old tactics. I think it's just so many different factors, so many different personalities, a blend of lots of different things and like I say going back to the first question, I think that um currently we're on a bit of form. If we if if Lee Johnson can sort of carry that form and and move move forward with the improvements we're making in tactics and the the method of play 
and utilize what looks like game by game he's picking the mistakes out and trying to work on eradicating them one by one um which there's a lot of um you know hopefully we can keep seeing that improvement regardless of where we're playing and who we're playing against that's mm. my positive spin i think but one thing we've seen over the last two games obviously one home one away both of which we've won uh, by a single goal um is that we've been consistently inconsistent so against Shrewsbury, we were decent in the first half, but didn't turn up for the second. And at Ipswich, we saw the opposite, where we were sluggish in the first half and picked it up in the second. I mean, I heard Lee Johnson mention it in the interviews as well, Bomber. But do you think it's down to just, you know, how the game goes and maybe incidents in the game, like, you know, the sending off on Tuesday, for instance? Or do you think there's something more fundamentally wrong with our mentality where the players struggle to be switched on for the full 90 minutes? I think it's... I think it's more deep rooted than than kind of ad hoc individual instances in a game because when you know Ipswich had that that sending off, Caden Jackson got sent off relatively early in that game, and yet for the the remainder of that half, I'd argue that Ipswich probably looked like the be- the better team for that first half. For me, it's just the the fact that each game is a complete coin toss at the start of each half as to whether or not the team's going to turn up. We've never been able to do it. I can't remember the last time we've put in a decent ninety minutes, um, or I can probably count on one hand the number of times in the last few seasons that we have it it does tend to be the one or the other and it is historically we've been slow starters certainly under under parkey but it makes it impossible to have to go into for me anyway as a, as a fan it makes it impossible for me to go into any game with any sort of confidence of a result one way or the other because we just don't know what Sunderland's going to turn up and you know against some teams we'll be slow starters and we'll find ourselves a goal down against other teams we'll be um, quick off the blocks but still not able to to finish chances both situations we generally find ourselves you know a goal down or or, or nil nil at half time and then it's a it's an uphill battle from there I think the fun our fundamental problem has been slow starts we've gone a goal down and I'm not just talking recent recent form the last four five six games it goes way further back than that that we go a goal down and we just uh, seem to be unable to or struggle to pick ourselves up and that has been fundamental in in some of the results that we've had some of the negative results that we've had and it I, I think it's probably a pivotal reason as to why why we just don't know what Sunderland's going which Sunderland is going to turn up it, it, it's like I said it's it's another conundrum yeah I mean I mean John I mean what what do you think of the two sides of Sunderland I mean is it is it are we making a big deal out of it or, or is it that actual issue that we actually have I used to be completely in this way of thinking that there was just no answer to exactly what Bombers just explained in that you know, you don't know what, what you're going to get from 10 minutes to the next, let alone each game with Sunderland. You know, there'll be a sublime movement and then something that will follow on from that. And you just think, here we go, here we go. We're really turning the corner. And then literally 30 seconds down the road, someone scored the ridic- most ridiculously terrible, terribly defended goal, a mistake by a keeper or whatever. And you just think, well, no, we're back to square one because that then leads to 20 minutes of backs to the walls where we're losing the plot kind of football. Um, but... I the more that we talk about the more that we talk about this hangover from Parky and and what's been put into the squad and the team the more I start to think about the mentality of the players and I previous managers previous sort of regimes and previous seasons when we would have what looks like on paper a lot of players that you think right they've got the mentality if they go a goal down they'll be fine and we we weren't showing it on the pitch like it was drastically horrendous you know you look at the teams the team in the championship you know if you ignore five or six of the absolute dross that are in the 11 most weeks 
there were players in that team that you just think, why are they not? We go a goal down. Why have they not got their head in the game? But now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking for the first time in a long time, let's cut through the, the business speak that we hear Lee Johnson say, but maybe the whole ethos and the sort of atmosphere around the, the, the team is changing slightly. And just maybe we are feeling a bit more positive. So what So what I'm getting at here is the last couple of games, and I know in the group chats and when we've been chatting privately, I have been a bit negative during the games and around the games. But what I have been seeing is that if we have an attack against us where it's an almost goal kind of thing, even against 10 men, what I have seen is it doesn't always drag on for the next five or ten minutes where we're struggling like actually we sometimes go up the other end and I think all that boils down to is real simplistic attacking intent where they're given a bit more freedom and they've got a bit more desire about themselves because they're given a bit more freedom and I think stripping all that back I'd like to think and I'm a pretty good judge I think these days of sometimes what I see on the pitch I'd like to think it's because simply what Lee Johnson's trying to do is play to their strengths. He's looking at each player and he's saying, right, each player can do this, this, this and this, but they're not so good at this. Let's work with them. Let's make sure that they do what they can do to their strengths and blend that into a tactic that can have a bit of attacking intent and have a bit of eventually, you know, we're seeing it now a little bit with our friend Chaz White, but eventually we'll start seeing goals. Again, just sort of culminating in a point here, because I know I've gone off piste a little bit. I think that then has a bit of a a kind of knock on effect. And I think that hopefully produces a bit of psychology, positive psychology, positive mentality, where you do get fight from players. That if we do get back to the walls a bit, if we do let a goal in, we're still up for it. You know, there might be people listening to this who think, well, that wasn't the case literally a week ago or two weeks ago. You know, a lot can change really quickly. It has changed really quickly. A lot of perceptions have changed of Chaz White over the last week or so, haven't they? So it's kind of one of those situations where I just, I'm trying to look on the positive side of what I'm seeing and there are changes afoot. So I hope, I hope, going back to your original question, that that mentality is the key thing that's changing. I could be proven wrong. And if if I am, it'd be depressing for the rest of the season. But fingers crossed there's a bit of a change afoot. Yeah, bit, bit positive there, John. I, I like it. <laughs> but, well, Jelena on Saturday. Um, it's their eighth season in the third tier and they're sitting in a respectable... 12th, which is about par for, for the Gills after the finished 10th last season. Uh, the six point behind us after Tonkin uh, crew 4 1 at home on Tuesday night. Uh, despite actually crew were on a, on a run of 10 unbeaten before that, and then Gillingham turned them over 4 1. Also, they've won two out the last seven away, which is slightly better than our home form. And uh, Steve Evans has been in the job around 18 months now, and he's turned them into a, a pretty solid outfit. I mean, it was tight in the two draws last season. We had a at home against them uh, last year. And so not an easy game on paper, Bomber. No, no, it's not an easy game. And it, it, it just I've just been looking through some of their results before we started um, started recording. And, um, you know, there's a lot of 1-0s either way in there. Um, so, you know, they, they, they beat Accrington 1-0. Uh, they lost to Burton 1-0 and lost to Plymouth 1-0, all in consecutive weeks. So, you know, they're, they're obviously a team that don't necessarily concede all that regularly, although... That they don't keep many clean sheets, but it looks like you know they, they score in a fair few games as well. So no team has really put a pace in on them. There's a couple of a couple of two nil defeats in there. One to us obviously earlier in the season. Um, I think they lost two nil to Hull or Ipswich or something like that. But again, had a player sent off at Fleetwood. Sorry, it was. Um, but again, had a player sent off, and everything else seems to be draws or the odd goal up or down. So it, it stands to reason that pretty much every game that they're in is, is a tight game. So I see no reason to expect anything different. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, like, like I said, I mean, played them twice, one in the cup and one in the league at mm. home last season. It was one one and two two. I mean, in the, in their last five, they've drawn one and lost two. John, uh, they're away form for the season reads uh, one five, lost five, drawn one. Um, but interestingly, that they've they've only drawn three in twenty four all season, which is the joint lowest in League One. They've also jointly lost the most games out of anyone outside of the bottom five in the division. So actually, I mean, by that, it sounds like they go all out for three points. So, I mean, does it sound, I mean, at least on paper, John, that, that we might not come up against a side who's just going to sit on the edge of their own box for 90 minutes? No, and I, I, don't, I don't think for one minute that Steve Evans is the kind of person versus us that would do that. I think, first of all, we all kind of have an impression of him. Um, I, you know, he's he's bit of a shithouse manager he's, he's come across quite negatively towards us in the past with everything that's happened and Gillingham as a team have have done so since he took over I used to not have much of a thought process about them if I'm honest and the last sort of six to twelve months I've certainly thought they're a they're a bit of a shithouse team which is probably down to him taking over and doing it but look on paper they've got they've got some decent players and um we saw that in a couple of draws last season, a couple of draws we recently had with them over the last year. And I guess really it's one of them where you look at it and you just think if he is setting them up to win or, or doing a bit of kind of speculating to accumulating and if they get tonked, they get tonked kind of thing, then we have to be on our guard. And yes, we've got a great defensive record, but it's just about, I guess, keeping it together. Let's just make sure, fingers crossed, we, we defend like we have been doing. And fingers crossed the form of the attack and intent continues and and we can we can get the win. I, I just think you know even if the team's going to come at us, I can't see a problem at the moment. Especially if in in the past, and I know everybody talks about the fabled Lincoln City game, the recently fabled Lincoln City game. But you know that was a team who was expected to destroy us, and we're 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 flying and still are now. But you know they were they were coming at us, and, and we beat them. So well, yeah. I- I would say about that Lincoln game, I think first 20 minutes, we could have easily been two down. Yeah. They went yeah. clean through yeah. on goal twice, didn't they? So, yeah, yeah. We, incredibly we, lucky. Yeah, we dodged one there. But I mean, if they do that, John, I mean, if they come out, what, what does that that what does that what mean for us? I mean, does that, do you think that gives out like Lexa McGeady more, more space to do their thing? Yeah. Or I remember Portsmouth kind of putting us under pressure on the ball in our own half and we kind of came a cropper against them at home. Uh, I mean, so it kind of worked both ways if, if they step up the pitch a bit. Yeah, it can. And I think at this level, there is a massive element of luck, you know, like you just touched on there. And thinking of Portsmouth, you know, there's times when teams have punished us big time and we just can't seem to turn it around the other way and we don't get the run of the ball. Um, again, that's for me, again, that's where form hopefully kicks in. And you just think, look, we'll get the run of the, the run of a, a few of their shots will go wide and then all of a sudden we'll go down the other end or whatever. But yeah, Magidi and potentially after his second half display, he'll throw Embleton in. Um, somebody who can really counter and really sort of like go at players um away from the slower build-up you know because if they are going to come at us um hopefully lee johnson knows that and he'll say right okay look they're going to come at us let's defend like we have been doing but hey look at the opportunities we're going to have because they're going to be flying forwards so let's let's make sure we make make use of them rather than normally we we take our time build it building up perhaps you know three four five passes how about let's just cut two of them out you know it's the old I used to play basketball as a kid and it's the old adage of how many passes do you need to get to the to the rim and uh, you know transferring that into football when I coached um, uh, an under 14 side we used to do the lowest number of passes to get a goal and things like that and there's there's an element of that if you're trying to get to to that counter-attacking style so perhaps you will just tell them go for it. I would say that we've looked we have looked a completely different side when teams 
have come out at us a little bit. I know Lincoln, you know, at the moment we'll treat Lincoln as a, a bit of an anomaly because, like you said, Chris, we could have quite easily been 2-0 down there. But the way we moved the ball in that Lincoln game, having got away with uh, a, a couple, was as good as I've seen a Sunderland team play in I don't know how long. And if Gillingham are going to gonna come out that way, it stands to reason that we, we could use those players, use that tactic to, to, to kind of punish them. And I'm, I'm just looking at the league table now and there's, there is an incentive for Gillingham to come out and, and try and get three points against us. If, if, they, if they get a result against us at the weekend, that will put them up to 36, which could be as high as eight. And given that they've beaten Accrington, they've beaten Crewe, Ipswich's terrible run of form lately, they might fancy themselves as an outside chance to to push for a playoff as a as a dark horse mm. so there's definitely an incentive there for them to to not park sit there and park the bus and they said the fact that the, they don't draw too many games suggests that that might be the case as well but if that is the case and i think we'll find out in the first 10-15 minutes of the game the longer that goes on the more i'll grow in confidence that we'll end up winning it because i think on paper we're you know a hundred times the better team and if you've got two teams that are trying to play football and going for three points for me there's only one winner in that Okay, well, well, let's take some of that into account and try and get inside Lee Johnson's head for what, what he might be planning. He mentioned after the game at Ipswich that there wasn't too much of a worry about concussion when it came to Bailey Wright and it was kind of a pretty badly cut lip by the sounds of it, so he should be back. So let's assume Bailey Wright continues in the middle with Jordan Willis uh, on Saturday. Otherwise, you'd imagine it'd be a straight swap for, for Sanderson. But actually sticking with Sanderson... I mean, w- would you keep the back four the same bomber or, or would you be tempted to maybe kind of have Sanderson at left back in place of McFadden or even at right back and move Max Power over to left back? Uh, it's a, that's a, a good question. I mean, I, I, I rate Sanderson, as, as you know, I rate him as a more as a right back than as a centre back um, at the moment. I know, John, you feel differently about that. But it's, it's the old adage, isn't it, that we're winning games, we're kind of not conceding many goals. So why change something that doesn't appear to be broken? You know, two one nil wins would suggest that actually the back four, <laughs> that there's not an issue with, with that. And, you know, if, we, if you go back to the Port Vale game, then that's that's what is that three clean four clean sheets in five games so you would suggest actually the issue is not at the back so I probably wouldn't be inclined to um to change it um there is an argument to put Sanderson or just anybody other than McFadzian in a left back um but again he's part of that back four unit however much however much he might frustrate us and I know our the whatsapp group during um during Tuesday's game was was going off about how wasteful he was and how poor his positioning was etc but as he is part of that defensive unit that that's kept those clean sheets and I wouldn't necessarily want to risk the the balance of that back four by putting somebody who is predominantly a right-sided or a right-sided centre player um, out on the left but it's it's you've got to weigh up what kind of what you lose in in not having that balance there against what you gain by having somebody who's actually a footballer in that position Yeah, well, John, you love your footy manager. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I mean, I think we've got three of uh, Sanderson's biggest fans on this pod. Mm. And I mean, surely he's got to be tempted to stick Sanderson in. No, I wouldn't do it. I think that um, for me, I can't understand it. And I don't mean this nastily to Sanderson, as you've just said, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think he's a good ball playing defender and he's good on the ball and he's got talent. Um, I've never seen him play there. Has he ever played there? And, you know, Bomber hit the nail on the head. Why change it? McFadden's left-footed. Um, he's not. Uh, I've not even seen him kick it with his left foot. I've not seen Max Power kick it with his left foot. And when I have, it's probably poor because Max Power <laughs> has a poor pass in him, you know, whether it's with his right or his left. So, no, 
I think for me, look, we're overplaying the fact that Dion Sanderson's a good footballer because he is a good footballer and he's a young footballer. And it's like, let's get excited about a young, good footballer that plays for Sunderland. He's not a left back, you know, he's a centre back or a right back. As Bomber said, I prefer him at centre back. I think he's a, he's good on the ball, good in the air and he's strong and he's fast and, we, and I like fast centre backs. But I think if Bailey Wright's fit, it's got to be them two with Willis. Um, it's a good partnership at the minute, it's working until one of them makes several clangers, I can't see the, the need to change it. So I think it's just got to be the same back four. Um, I can't understand Dan, Deion Sanderson playing left back yeah. personally, but people are entitled to that. I think he did get, like, get switched over to left back for maybe about 20 minutes in a game, which I can't remember, but not so long ago. But yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I think it wasn't, I don't think it was out of choice. No, yeah, exactly. And this is it. And you look, McFadzian as well, just, I'm not sticking up for him. He's been very poor and he is, Arguably a very poor player. But second half, I thought he was going, doing better coming forward. He was more involved. He, he certainly made less mistakes second half. And he looked, he was doing well on the overlap and, and causing problems and giving people space. And, you know, he looked defensively. He isn't great. But like, like numerous people have said on these pods, he's, I don't think he is a left back. He's a left wing back, left winger, potentially. Certainly everything that I've seen of him, he can't defend. So I think Lee Johnson will stick with him just purely for that balance. Yeah, I think it might be Northampton where he got switched to, to left back, but mm. I might I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Yeah, and I'll remind you of this conversation when McFadden drops a clanger, and we we get people the only. <laughs> and I'll remind you when he game. scores a, when he scores a worldie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of question marks for me in midfield, John. Uh, Ledbetter was okay at Ipswich, but for me, looked like he could maybe do with a rest. I mean, would you be tempted to sit him out on on Saturday, John? And would it maybe give an opportunity for Embleton to come in, who looked quite bright when he came on, and maybe gives us a bit more going forward? Yes, to the first bit, I think I'd give Ledbetter a rest. I think now we're looking like we're seeing more opportunities and options in centre mid. I actually don't think that Embleton should be as deep as playing that role or in the centre mid role. I think he should play further forward. Um, if we're playing this 4 2 2 Two is that right? Yeah, <laughs> um, I always got to work it out because it's such a weird formation. Um, but if you know the second row back from the forwards, I would probably play him in there. Um, so if you're taking Ledbetter out, you then have to drop Scowen back if Scowen is already playing in that front two, that second front two. So um, my, me personally, I think I'd drop Ledbetter out, and I think I'd probably put Luke and Iron in there, which might seem a bit. Off, off the sort of trend at the minute because you know a lot of people are calling for him to play higher up and when he's been coming on the last sort of cameo five minutes last couple of games he's done well in that sort of number 10 role um, but he's probably I think probably better suited to that box to box kind of centre mid role he's got a lot of fitness he'll, he'll keep going don't know what's going on behind the scenes but I would do that and then yeah I think the second midfielder in that deeper two I think Winchester's done enough to keep his place personally so yeah that would be my deeper two Winchester and maybe a nine which is a bit off off piece mm. I think yeah I think Winchester did himself with that yellow card and I think Johnson was a bit worried on Tuesday yeah. wasn't he but I saw you nodding your head Bomber because I, I was going to mention to you I mean obviously John's just mentioned Luke or nine um, and, and Gooch came on in the second half against Ipswich as well Gooch actually when he came on looked to me like he's lost quite a bit of weight and we don't know if there's any longer term impact he might be, you know, having after suffering from from COVID recently. We just just heard about oh nine, you know, John thinks he could come in. I mean, I know when Lee Johnson spoke last week, we heard that oh nine was still struggling to get his arm above his head. Mm. I mean, so do you think? I mean, you were nodding your head there, bomber, but do you think they should maybe stay on the bench for a little while longer, or would you have them in contention to to start? So, so I wasn't aware. I didn't hear that comment from Lee Johnson that um, oh nine was still struggling a bit with his arm. 
if you hadn't have told me that, then I would be nodding to say, yes, I want to see him in the team. The fact that he might still be struggling makes me think that actually he should probably still come off the bench, but maybe for a half rather than kind of five or ten minutes here or there. It's quite clear that Lee Johnson doesn't see him as a as a right back and he sees him as a centre midfielder. The fact that he's put in our captain who was signed as a centre midfielder out at right back to and Luca Nines come in there suggests to me that he sees him as, as as a bit of dynamism, a bit of energy in that midfield, which we have been sorely lacking. Um, but with with what you've just said about him still struggling a little bit, Chris, then I probably that that nod is probably tempered a little bit. Um, I, I'd like to see him have forty five minutes. I definitely want to see um, Embleton come in if if that's the case. Um, I think if the game turns out to be as we're expecting it to be a little bit more open, the likes of Gooch and Embleton and, and those players that do have um, a little bit more pace, uh, a little bit more speed to their game um, in terms of the quickness of their decision-making and actually moving the ball, um, that's going to be key for us. And we all know that the one thing Ledbetter doesn't do is is move the ball quickly. When he's in there, he slows play down. He's absolutely perfect for a game where we're one or two nil up against a, you know, a top two or a top six side where we just want to settle things down. In a game where we want to be on the front foot and we want to play counter-attacking football against a team that we think, we don't know for certain, but we think is going to come out and try and attack us. I want to see, you know, I want to see Gooch, I want to see Embleton, I want to see 09, I want to see McGeady, those players that play, can play the ball forwards and play it quickly. So, yeah, I, I mean, if, if 09 isn't fully fit, he shouldn't start, but that means that Embleton should. Um, and I think that that probably means that I'm kind of in agreement with John, I think, in that that you have Winchester and, and probably Scoen a bit further back. Um, with with an Embleton further forward. So, who would be your three in in central midfield? So, I would I would say I, I'm still not fussed on on Winchester at the minute. I mean, he, he did have that that nice uh, back heel, and it was an, a, a good bit of play. But for, so far from what I've seen, he's played kind of three games and contributed two yellow cards and and a nice back heel. But I would probably I would probably give him an, a, another spot in there. Uh, so I'm looking at probably as that four that box midfield. If we're saying that the the, the two and then the two. I would probably be looking at Scowen. Um, I'd say Winchester and then either Embleton slash 09, depending on his fitness, and and Gooch. That would be my four in, mm. in a box midfield. Uh, I mean, you, you've just mentioned that, that kind of box of the four. Mm. But, I mean, quick mention of Jack Diamond. He sat out midweek. It was a bit more of a kind of a dogged game, a bit rough maybe for him. Um, we didn't want him to maybe give the ball away too much. But um, do you think being back at home will see him come back in yeah quite possibly I'll be honest I completely forgot about him when, when, I, when I'm <laughs> considering my, my front ones but it's I think that kind of highlights how good our options are in that in that if we're talking about that just solely about that box midfield those two further forward you know we've almost got four possibly even five players who, who can play in there who are all very very capable I, I probably you could probably argue that our best footballers are in those in that position if the the option was to bring Diamond back in at the expense of, of of Embleton. You know, my my midfield four then becomes Embleton slash O nine slash Diamond. <laughs> so basically, anybody who's whoever's fittest can go in there for that other other position. But I definitely want to see Lyndon Gooch. Um, you could argue that to push Lyndon Gooch further forward alongside Charlie White, but I don't. Th- I think it would be harsh on O'Brien to to drop him. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, I'll stick with Gooch and I'll say I'll say Diamond because he's had more football actually thinking about it than than Embleton. And he's he's done he's done pretty decent. So yeah, them them yeah. are two further forward. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it's interesting that I think Aidan O'Brien has played himself in the mm. most kind of fans elevens now with the way he's played recently and the kind of the uh, the shifts he's put in doing doing something the 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 dog work for um for our next one Charlie Wake 
because uh, I think that just leaves us with Charlie White, which I don't think we can leave without mentioning. As the sensible world of soccer song went, uh, he's our goal scoring superstar hero. Um, <laughs> 12 goals this season if we take out the Pizza Cup against the kids. Our next top scorer, if you only include League, League Cup, and FA Cup, is any takers, gentlemen? Oh, uh, it's going to be something ridiculous, isn't it? Like, I don't know. That's a, oh. It's. It's Grant Ledbetter. Oh, I was four say goals. That, Penalties, yeah. I was going to say Bailey Wright. So uh, I thought it was going to be something ridiculous like that. <laughs> and Wyke also has five goals in his last four games, John. So does his recent form mean we found our solution up top this season? <laughs> that was that was a horrible introduction to that question. <laughs> does it mean does it mean we found our solution? Um no. Uh, I don't think it's the uh, the final answer to that. Um, I'll st- look. I'm just going to continue the positivity as best I can. Right. Um, I hope that he continues this form. He looks better. He is doing things that he didn't do previously. Johnson has hopefully got in his ear. Someone's got in his ear and said, "Look at this video of you not being out of position fifteen times. Not being in the right position fifteen times. Look at this." Um, a video of you not trying to get to the end of the cross. Look at this video of the ball bouncing off you when it's coming at you at three mile an hour um, and do something about it. So um, it certainly looks like he's turned a corner, to keep using that phrase. Um, and look, his, his goals are good for us. Don't get me wrong. You can't, you can't sit, no one can sit there and including me and say, look, he scored that many goals. He's winning games for us. Therefore, he's our worst player still. You know, yes, a week, two weeks ago, we were saying he was terrible and he's the worst player that's ever graced the Sunderland shirt. But, yeah, I, I just think positively he is doing things better. Does it mean he'll turn up? You know, that, that old phrase of like, you know, he comes to the games and performs or is he just going to be the old Charlie Wyke of two weeks ago where he did nothing all game and we gave him two out of ten? Um I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that. I'm not Mystic Meg. Um, and I just, you know, I'm just holding hope that like the form continues um, because he is getting into the right places sometimes. Look, there were parts of yesterday, right, I'm going to be negative now. I'm going to be negative now. There were parts of yesterday where he was still the same old Charlie Wyke and people have seemed to have forgotten that a little bit, but he was working harder. And one thing to comment on with the whole Charlie Wyke scenario, and it was mentioned, um, I think it was mentioned in the pod um, by one of the lads, Aidan O'Brien, for all his mistakes, and what you guys said earlier was absolutely correct, they are looking like a bit of a good partnership, and he does perform the sort of duties that you need someone to perform for someone like Charlie Wyke. So if we can continue the form, they can both keep turning the sort of like corners of the positivity and eradicating some of the mistakes and getting more opportunities, then yeah, keep them both in. What op- What other option do we have apart from playing... You know, Gooch, Gooch and McGeady up front, or you know, like I don't know. We just it looks like Graham's on his way out, Griggs on his way out. I don't know. It's just one of them, isn't it? Like we we haven't really got any other options. I want to I want to see some more youth practically, but why change it now when he's doing so well? So fingers crossed, he carries on. I don't think I've seen anyone work so hard just to stop the negativity coming through there, John. It, it, John. I feel I feel a little bit sick. I feel a little bit sick. <laughs> I can see you working hard there. I mean, I mean, Bomber. I saw you put out a tweet um, after the game. Yeah. I can't remember whether it was the day after or whatever. 
um, saying that you were one of his biggest critics, but you, you kind of doffed your cap to him by saying, you know, for this week, for getting the goals. Uh, so, I mean, are you happy with him as long as he keeps tucking them away? Is it as simple as that? I mean, it would be it would be stupid of me to to say anything otherwise. Uh, you know, if he if he's scoring the goals, you you kind of have to doff your cap, so to speak, to him. What I would say is Charlie White needs to do what he did last night um, for three or four games in a row before he really start, can start winning me over. Because if we only need to go back and look at the last three games, he had a decent, a very good performance. Actually, last night, for me, was probably the most complete number nine performance that Charlie White has put in for the club since he's been been here. Um, he only scored one goal, but I thought in terms of his his, his first touch and his, his link-up play and the way he kept the ball moving was as good as... We're, we're still talking Charlie White scales here, but it was as good as, I, <laughs> as, as I've seen him do. So it's, it's a, as complete a performance as I've seen him do. But then you go back less than a week um, prior to that and he was absolutely dog-awful uh, in the game before that. And then in the game before that, he scored a hat-trick, um, despite, in my opinion, playing pretty damn poorly. Um, so if <laughs> Yeah. So if he, can, if he can replicate... For me, if he can replicate yesterday for the next two, three, four games, hold my hands up and I'll say he's starting to win me round. Um, but I'll, I couldn't I'll criticise add, him. I'll, I'll add something to that. If he can replicate what he did yesterday, not score, I think we'll see goals from other people. And I think that yeah. we'll still be happy with him because what he did yesterday was, like you say, it was a rounded performance. Forgetting his goal, you know, he was doing more things that were bringing people into play. There were, you know, there were times where it was like, it was like looking at a little bit of a different player. He controlled the ball, he played people in. He was looking for the balls from O'Brien. He was looking for the balls from other people. And and that will only bring positivity, one-twos. It'll bring different other players into play because they're dragging defenders out. He's dragging defenders away. Literally 10 days ago, he could stand there and the defender that was marking him would have the easiest game of his life. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So... I think yeah, I think you're right, Bomb. I think that was one of the things. So, so that was my biggest critic of of, of Charlie White. Because and it, again, I'm going to make myself sound stupid because if you take his goals out, he doesn't. He, he <laughs> which as a, just as a statement on its own without any context sounds absolutely ridiculous. But if you take his goals out, he he didn't. He never affected a game um, in terms of in terms of a team performance. He never affected a game. In fact, it was only probably detrimental in terms of a team performance. He may have affected results by scoring three at Wimbledon despite being terrible. Um, but he, he didn't affect a, a positive team performance. Yesterday, he positively affected a team performance. And if he can carry on doing that, then I'll shake his hand when I'm allowed within yeah. two metres of him. Yeah, if, if that's I not took, through a restraining uh, order, that's that's through uh, social distancing, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> if I if I took uh, all these goals for England off Gary Lineker, I'm sure he would have been absolutely awful for England because he did no one else. Yeah, I know. I know. As a statement, <laughs> I, you know, I've set myself up to be shot down there, but hopefully, people can understand what I'm trying to say. It'd be a really good debate piece, you know, what, what mm. people who are poor footballers have scored a lot of goals in the past. Well, I'm I'm just uh, just amazed neither of you threw it back to me, so we can we can move on to the the next. Thing. Um, <laughs> What's your thoughts, Chris? So, uh, what, What's your thoughts, Chris, about uh, uh, about Charlie well, White? I'm, I'm asking the questions, John. So can, uh, oh come on, on you're his worst critic. <laughs> I I am, which is why I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to stay away. You can't bring yourself to say it, can you? That's the problem. <laughs> no, I think. Uh, well, I, I think. Um, I think Charlie White is. Um, I think you've mentioned it, John. I think he's a he's a 
he's a poor footballer in a rich vein, vein of form. And I think uh, I think this uh, vein of form is temporary. I think he showed us over two years what his level is and what he's capable of. And I just think this uh, this this run of form will end at some point and it'll it'll go back to kind of as it was normality as we've seen for two years. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the the player ratings pods after the Gillingham game were saying, "Oh, he's got a four, he's back to blah blah blah," because mm. that that's what he's been like. <laughs> he's he's had one good game where where he's knocked one in and then he's had a four where he's he stank and hadn't had a touch of the ball and not not doing anything for us so that that's what I expect in the next game or two we'll be he'll be back to square one um the other thing I think is that he by having white up front he dictates the way we play so I think part of our attacking problem in the final third is because we have uh white up top and we've only looked better recently because we've had someone close to him in Aiden Aiden O'Brien because as a footballer, when Charlie White's got nobody within 10, 15 yards of him, another Sunderland player, he looks he looks like a lost child up front. Um, a very big one, but he yeah. looks like a lost child. That's my that's my take on, on Charlie yeah. White. So you're just gonna, are, are we allowed to move on now? You're just going to die on the hill, aren't you, Chris? You know, I'm unless, still up there with well, you, Chris. I'm still up there with you at the minute. Like I said, it's going to take three or four consecutive yeah, performances yeah. like last night to, to win me. I, I'm, yeah. up there, I'm up there with you, but at the end of the day, you know, I'd rather you take... Take the uh, take the, the abuse that's probably going to come your way for saying it. <laughs> well, we'll see on Saturday. Um, actually, one last point before I get to your predictions for Saturday, just very quickly. Gillingham have been busy over the last week or so in the in the window. Um, they've signed uh, centre half Robbie Cundy on loan from Bristol City this week. They've also uh, had it was quite interesting actually. They've had three players on loan from Southampton. They've had uh, Tom O'Connor. Um, Callum Slattery and they had Tyrek Johnson um, all rated highly uh, Johnson actually was made permanent this week at, uh, at Gillingham uh, and uh, I saw the interview with Lee Johnson he was asked after the Ipswich game about the window and whether we'd do any business he seemed pretty keen pretty confident that we'd be busy uh, before 11pm on Monday when the window closes I mean Bomber what, what type of business would you like us realistically to do between now and then well, I think if you'd have asked me this in January when the win- at the start of January when the window opened, I would have said probably, well, certainly a left back, if not if not two, depending on the extent of um, of Denver Hume's injury, but definitely a left back, and I would have said a striker as well on the on the proviso that we could offload Graham and or Grig. Um, I have a sneaky suspicion that Charlie White's form might mean that we probably aren't so hot in our pursuit of a striker. Um, which does concern me um, because, like you said, Chris, he's ju- he's just as likely to turn in a three out of ten next week as as he is an eight out of ten. But I I don't think the the fullback positions. You could argue that we possibly need another right back, although Bailey Wright can play there, Sanderson can play there, Max Power is doing a decent enough job there. Um, I don't know how far away Conor McLaughlin is. I would probably say that we're. I don't think we need to do an awful lot. It's more depth for me in some of the positions than actually people who who will come and sit in a starting lineup. Other than a left back and a, and a striker, but I fear that that we might not get a striker now. Yeah, it was amazing actually when you said depth there. I mean, just having that extra name in Winchester in midfield yeah. gives us so much more options. It's amazing, isn't it? What just one player can can give you and open things up. Mm. I mean, um, I mean, John. I mean, if you've got any kind of different thoughts to the bomber on that? No, I think I echo bomber's thoughts with regards to the depth thing i think that's all i was thinking of but i guess the one thing i'll add to it is i'd like to see some pace i'd like to see some somebody bought with some pace probably further up like if it's going to be a striking option somebody that plays off the main striker if white's form hopefully continues um because o'brien hasn't got much pace um 
McGeady hasn't got much pace. You could argue Gooch has a bit of pace. Embleton has a bit of pace when he gets going. You could argue Anayan's got a little bit of pace if we're playing further up. And Scowan gets about. But I'd really like to see more like a lightning winger kind of style pace. Um, mm. a, lightning, a lightning number 10 bit of pace. I just, I just feel at times generally, you know, and maybe it's just the way he wants to play, but generally we're a bit slow going forward. And um, I'd like to see a bit of speed, a bit of, you know, a bit of what Diamond does more of um and a bit of what Magidi does more of but quicker because Magidi's a bit slow so yeah, yeah. a bit more pace I'd be happy for that in a fullback position as well if we could pick up um yeah not necessarily as a, as a striker but if we could pick up a left back and possibly a, a, a right back who are just attacking minded decent enough on the ball but with with pace I think that will be probably be enough because you like you've you, you named kind of two or three there in Gooch and Diamond who can play that further forward and and, and have got the nose and the pace to get beyond Charlie White um, from a slightly deeper position. But yeah, out wide is where we have been lacking. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think Power and McFadzian, they take two or three one-twos to get forward. You know, they're a little yeah. bit slower, whereas you, you want someone to play a ball in and peg it and literally be there quicker than, you know, anybody else can get the next ball kind of thing. So... Yeah, I agree there. A bit of pace fullback. Yeah, nice well, too. you look at um, you look at you look at Max Power's overlapping runs, and they look so painful. I mean, yeah. I, I take my again <laughs> all full praises for him actually attempting them, and he you know he does it four, five, six times a half. Um, so fair play to him. But afterwards, he looks like he's about to keel over and have an aneurysm. <laughs> yeah, people people have said it before, but we're missing Denver, and I think that you know that kind yeah. of pace would be perfect either side. Very, very quickly, um, we've got about 20 players or something ridiculous out of contract in the summer and um, obviously a few days left for the window. Every chance somebody higher up championship or whatever might put a cheeky bid in for one of these players who are, who is out of contract. I mean, is, who would you, you know, desperately keep hold of? Mm, I think I'm not too fussed uh, about in the goalkeeping positions. I'm not sure if Patterson actually is one of those. I would probably do my best to keep hold of Patterson, but I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be devastated if if Burge wasn't one of them. I think we have to keep hold of Jordan Willis. That's an absolute no brainer for me. Um, the rest, you know, it, it's all it's all kind of hypothetical because if you if we were to have a cheeky bid put in of for I don't know, let's say Lyndon Gooch and the powers that be decide that actually it's too good a bid to turn down, it it then becomes what do we do with that that money, whether it's reinvested or whether it's just swallowed up. I certainly wouldn't let a lot. There's a there's a handful there that I wouldn't let their contracts go for nothing, and I would try and sort them out, even if it's on shorter term deals. But in terms of January bids, there's there's only a handful really that I would be no, we absolutely need to keep hold of. And the one that springs to mind immediately that's front and center is Jordan Willis for me. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of go much further than that, except to say that I know he's he's not had the greatest few weeks. Um, form-wise, but Bailey Wright as well. I think all I would think when you were talking there, Bummer, was if <laughs> we're not we're not going to get promoted. I, I don't think. You know, I hope we do. But if you're thinking of Championship clubs coming in for people who can step up to that level, it would be Bailey and and um, Jordan Willis. I think. Um, and obviously, Hume being injured, I think probably puts us in um, a good position to keep hold of him because no one wants to buy an injured player, perhaps. But yeah, I of think course. he would probably be one of our main assets. He would be one of our main assets for sure. But no, I agree with you, Bum. You know, I'd actually be a bit interested to see what people want to put in for him. Most of them, yeah. if they're out of contract. It, it says a lot. It says a lot that you're not reeling off the players that we want to keep. Yeah, that you're not really bothered about keeping. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't Charlie be White. devastated Charlie about White. many of them. Um, I wouldn't be devastated. <laughs> but again, if we were to sell someone like Gooch 
and not replace them, or certainly certainly one of the centre backs and not replace them, then I'd have a massive issue with that. But if it was if it was not too good an offer to turn down, and we actually used that to to backfill effectively, I wouldn't be devastated in 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 many of them leaving. To be fair, yeah. Okay, uh, prediction time. Um, so Gillian at home on Saturday. John, I'll go with you first. Um, can we have a result? And uh, since you found the love for Charlie Wyke, you can give us your prediction on goal scorers as well. Um, I'm going to go for 2-1. I think we'll concede. I know it sounds horrible, but I think we'll concede. Um, I just think you've scared me a bit by saying these these lot go for it. It's probably the first team in a while that we've had probably going to really go for it. So I think we'll concede, but I think we'll score two and I'm positive about that because I think that we've turned a corner attacking wise as far as goal scorers go I'm going to go for <laughs> McGeady <laughs> and um, uh, Grant Ledbetter penalty <laughs> I can't, I can't, say, it. I can't, I can't, I can't say it I can't believe you didn't go for like that uh, Bomber scoring scorers so I've got in terms of a prediction a score prediction I've got two kind of counterbalancing weights so I think that it's a, it's a massive positive for us if Gillingham come out and, and try and play a bit and come out and attack us I think that's where we'll be best and if we were away and they were doing that um, I would probably say a, you know a 3-0 a, a or something like that the fact that we're at home then counterbalances that argument so I think it'll be quite tight I think it'll be quite cagey I think it'll be more open but I'm going to go 1-0 Charlie Wyke <laughs> oh, yeah, good stuff. Well, according to the lads, everyone is in for an enjoyable Saturday. So if it doesn't happen, you know where to direct your frustration. Um, that just leaves me to say, Bomber, thank you very much for your time. Cheers, Chris. Thank you very much. Enjoyed that. And John, always a pleasure. <laughs> uh, look out for Jimmy's ratings on the site uh, immediately after the final whistle uh, on Saturday. Uh, and I will play a ratings pod that should drop uh, soon after. But from us, it's bye for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.